This episode is brought to you by Mad Call Festival. Probably Madrid's biggest and best festival, Mad Call is returning once again this summer and it's going to be one to remember. Not only will there be massive names like Dua Lipa, Janelle Monet, Bring Me the Horizon and The Killers playing, because who doesn't love a bit of Mr Brightside after a day of pints in the sun? There'll also be tons of new buzzy acts like Nia Archives, Crawlers, Kneecap and Picture Parlour scattered across the bill too. Obviously, with it being in Madrid, there'll be plenty of ace Spanish artists to check out across the weekend. Plus, heading to a festival like this is the perfect chance to get a good dose of sunshine and culture, all while getting to watch some of your favourite bands and necking a cheeky sangria or two. This year's Mad Cool Festival takes place from the 10th to the 13th of July in Madrid, and tickets can be purchased now over at their website, madcoolfestival.es. Hello and welcome to Before They Knew Better, the podcast from DIY Magazine. My name is Lisa Wright and this is my co-host and producer, Giles Bidder. Hello, that is me. Today on the new episode of the podcast, we have, I'm going to go like funk, pop, indie, out. I mean, like she traverses many genre boundaries and her name is Remy Wolf. Uh, we caught up with Remy as she had like pretty much just got off a plane back from Australia having been on tour with Paramore uh, not too shabby uh, she was probably quite jet lagged but even so she regaled us with some absolutely quality tales of her quite ludicrous life to date she's not even 30 yet and she's lived about four different lives as ever on before they knew better we asked remy to bring in a song a photo and an object from her childhood and teenage years you can see the photo now she looks hella cute and all of her other stories are i mean like some of them are cute some of them are wildly determined she has truly lived a life Remy will be heading to the UK next spring. She is going to be supporting the one and only Olivia Rodrigo at a series of arena dates across the UK and across Europe this April. But until then, stay tuned for Remy Wolf on the newest episode of Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine. What's the thing that you do, Remy, when you get home? What's the what's the thing that you look forward to on that journey back from the last date back home? I think that I really love I mean, seeing my dog is huge. I my I mean, being in my own house, sleeping in my own bed. <laughs> normal Just stuff. honestly normal stuff the dog that you're i mean this is juno that we're talking about uh eulogized on your debut album so actually <laughs> this is a big story that actually not a lot of people know but so juno is and still or was and still is my dog but i pretty much released my album juno and then went on tour for two years straight no, I ended up staying with my parents for a lot of that because we realized very quickly he was unable to travel for long period of periods of time in cars because he got car sick and would throw up everywhere. Nice. So he was just like unfit for the road. So essentially, Juno ended up staying with my parents. And I think at some point, maybe a year ago, my parents came down to LA and they sat me down at a dinner and they said, Remy? Um, Juno is our dog now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, like, they kind of co-opted him for me. But 
Oh my god. But honestly, but honestly though, I like feel them in the sense that he is like such a great dog. And in the while I was gone touring and everything, they got another puppy and him and Juno are so bonded together. Um oh, and that's cute. Yeah, they're they're very cute. And I was like, honestly, I'm gonna be on the road so much more and I can't take him and it's okay. But I still do see him all the time, so that's good. Okay. That's fine. But I did I adopted a new dog who's much smaller and much more portable. <laughs> um, <laughs> and doesn't throw up and doesn't throw in the car. Up and like has a he, yeah, he and he also is hypoallergenic, which is good because I'm also allergic to most dogs. And I still am allergic to my new dog, Bo, too, but um, less so. I didn't realize that the EP title was because you actually were <laughs> allergic. This is just like a running. So EP was allergic to dogs. First one named after first dog. Second album going to have to be named after new dog? Probably not. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll think... I, I actually haven't really named the second album yet, so we'll see. There's still time to there's still time to decide. But I'm I'm thinking that the dog the dog theme is m- maybe coming to a close. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's a lot of responsibility. Are you so you're pretty young when you got junior? Yeah, I was 23. I think that is quite young for a first dog. I mean, we had a good two years until I started touring, and it's just like collapsed and failed but i swear he is thriving right now (laughs) don't worry everyone listening he's fine yeah my parents are like on this big huge journey of uh like selling their house and driving across the united states in an rv like that's which seems to be like a very common kind of parent thing happening like all over facebook right now but um but yeah the dogs are going with them so they're gonna go to like every state they're gonna see like all of the national parks they're gonna be i mean surely that dog is absolutely throwing up every day if you're on a a sort of constant driving road trip jesus christ that car (laughs) i think so yeah but i don't have to deal with it they do so (laughs) i mean like so the reason that you've only just come back from this trip and seeing new dog is because you've just been out doing a few dates with Paramore, which is pretty wild. Um, were they like a sort of big band for you when you were growing up? I mean, definitely, yeah. I feel like they were kind of just a huge band for everyone in a way. Like, I feel like no matter if you were like a deep Paramore stan or just like a person casually observing culture on your couch, mm-hmm. um, they were like there. So yeah, I I was I think I was somewhere between like I was never like the biggest of biggest Paramore stands just because I wasn't I don't even know what the fuck I was listening to at that point in my life, but <laughs> I know Misery Misery Business was I loved that song and then only exception that was like a, a huge hit and I remember thinking I I remember singing that song actually so yeah. And then kind of since then, I've dipped in and out of Paramore and kind of um, explored their catalog a lot more, even before I got this tour. And getting the tour was like, I mean, they're such a legendary band. It's it's crazy. They've been together for 20 years, but they're only like, 
they're so young. Like Haley is mm-hmm. Haley's like thirty three. Like they started they started Paramore when she was thirteen. So it's like it's kind of unbelievable what they've gone through and what they've done and for their age and for the amount of time that they've been doing it. It's it's um it's really, really impressive and the show is just like so tight and so phenomenal and they're all like so technically amazing which i really appreciate um as a musician it's like a really fun show to watch if you yeah really like music um and Haley is just like such an inspirational singer and performer it's like mm. i was like blown away truly by by watching her and like was learning a lot from her so yeah paramore is very cool (laughs) and by all accounts like just really lovely people i've never really heard anyone say a bad word no they they are so so wholesome and like amazing and just like down to earth (laughs) and so good to talk to and weren't weird at all to me like were so nice to me would like hang out with me which like you never know like what you're gonna get on the mm-hmm. road um especially as an opener like you could literally never see mm-hmm. the band once or they could want to hang out with you every day or like i don't know but they were so so kind and um yeah it was it was truly a really it was a good one what was the best thing you did in australia did you see the koalas mm. oh yeah they're good we did see a koala. It was like a baby koala that was 11 months old, and it was very cute. We also saw like a bunch of other animals, like um, like a sugar squirrel or some shit like that. What was that? I have no idea. <laughs> it was just like a little tiny squirrel. <laughs> um, and I, I, held, um, I held a crocodile. Whoa. Uh, what else did I do? Are you in? You can do that, can you? You can do exotic animals. You don't get freaked by snakes spiders crocs no not really not when they're being like handled by people who like are with every day (laughs) if i were to see one like in if i well maybe not the crocs i don't think i'm really scared of the crocs but if i were to see like a huge spider out in the wild i'd be like absolutely not get me away yeah Um, Yeah. (laughs) but yeah no it was it was pretty fun So this is obviously a podcast about growing up, being young. You were saying then that obviously Haley and Paramore started when they were 13, which made me think, fucking hell, what have I done with my life? But like, I think it's pretty unusual to be that productive when you're 13. Like, how were you when you were 13? How was I when I was 13? Um, I was good. Wait, okay, 13. It must have been 2000. 2009 so i was in eighth grade um that was actually a really crazy crazy time of my life i was going to ski school i was in i lived in the bay area but i had moved for the winter to lake tahoe which is like up north kind of more near nevada and i was training for i guess junior olympic qualifier training (laughs) oh wow what yeah so you were snowboarding you were skiing yeah i was a ski racer for like 10 years in my childhood come on and you were good enough to be like in line for the olympic team yeah i went to the junior olympics twice whoa 
And that, yeah, so when I was 13, that was kind of maybe like the peak of it, of, uh, yeah, the peak of me training and like actually doing like a full on move. I was going to school out of school with six other people in my grade. <laughs> and I would go to school from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., so three hours, and then I would go and ski for six for the rest of the day. Wow. So you'd got into skiing at an early age, at some point being recognized by a scout, or did you enter enter a competition or a school? How do people discover young skiers? Well, so you are kind of, you ski for a mountain each there was a bunch of mountains in Tahoe and all over the United States. Um, and each mountain has their own like team and I guess their own infrastructure. Um, yeah. And so like you, we would go race. So like every two weeks there would be a race and we would go to a mountain and or ski at our home mountain. And all of that was documented and tracked uh, nationwide. So you had a national ranking uh, where you'd have your time and the slope time and slope like what place you got at the end if you disqualified if you fell like that was all recorded and documented and then there was like a national board of the top skiers of like your age um and that's so nuts yeah it was really nuts and i guess i was i was good enough to be like in the top i was definitely in the top 100 for a while so amazing how so like when you're going for something like that i mean you have to surely be like super disciplined is it like you know when you watch things about young gymnasts and they're training for from like six in the morning and they have to have this really specific diet and they're like tiny little sort of it's like being in the military or something is that what it's like when you're training and skiing i guess similar we definitely at least i didn't like I wasn't on like any sort of regimented diet or anything like that. Cause it's, I mean, you're literally out on the slopes for like eight hours a day sometimes and you're just burning calories all day long. Yeah. But I mean, the most intense part of the ski training aspect of it all was that it was kind of a year round thing because I would have my winters and my pre-winter there would be like boot camps like training boot camps and making sure like your you can like jump really high and like your agility is really good you would train and race for six months and then when summer hit there was a lot of kids that would go to chile to train i actually never did that but i would go up to oregon on this glacier called mount hood um, which is just like this glacier that during the summer still has snow. And it was like this huge operation where so many kids would like go up there and we would train all day. And like, then we, we were, all, <laughs> we would all stay at a hotel. It was like, it was summer camp, but for like but winter camp, snow camp, you must've had so little vitamin D. Like there is some, somebody get some sun on that child. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, no, you got to put on the sun cream though. Cause all the, all the snow is reflecting the summer sun. Exactly. During the winter too. Like there, there's days where it's beating down. And also like, you've probably seen the speed suits that people wear. If you've seen the Olympics, like, you're they're tight tight to your body (laughs) 
And so some days it's actually really warm and you're like, yay. But like literally your whole body is, you're in like, you're in a gymnastic suit, but it's, it's full fledged. And hurtling down a mountain. Like how do you pivot from professional Olympic skier to professional pop star? Yeah. Um, it's also sort of mad that you've already had two fully fledged professional careers and you're still in your 20s yeah it's something i'm kind of still processing because i'm like damn like i've really i've been working <laughs> i've been fucking working. <laughs> um like jesus christ but um yeah i so while i was skiing i was in my time off which i had some because i still had to go to school and i was singing i don't know i at some point i think in fourth grade i did a talent show with one of my best friends at the time and after i did that talent show we kind of just like started singing together and making dances and then our other friend got involved and we started this little girl group and we started singing together in harmony and that's kind of like where my singing my like passion for vocals and like harmony was birthed i actually didn't even love it at first i was kind of just doing it because like i was with my friends um Mm. and then when i was 15 something happened we would like perform all the time we would go to preschools and like perform for children (laughs) um and like wear like dresses and like fake eyelashes and shit um but then at 15 something happened hormonally with me where like my voice like dropped and I could suddenly sing like, well, um, and I don't know what Mm. happened, but it was like a very distinct difference in my voice. And it was definitely some sort of like puberty thing. Um, cause I could sing before, but suddenly I was like kind of raspy. So like all this while, you know, you'd be going and skiing down a mountain one day, then popping over to a preschool and doing a performance. And it was all simultaneous. You were... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> didn't like sleeping very much. Not not a fan of rest. Honestly, like, no, because we would get... I I don't really know... I don't, like, remember sleeping as a child, to be honest. I don't, like, really know what that was like. But, um, <laughs> I I mean, for our training and stuff, we would have to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and get to the mountain by 5.30 and ski from 5.30 to 8. So we could train and, like, have a whole run before the actual mountain opened up to the public. Um, so it was it was a very intense intense thing i was like always traveling in a way it really prepped me for like being on the road Mm. because i was i traveled so much and i traveled with a team and i traveled with coaches and i traveled with my family which is essentially tour like (laughs) yeah you're traveling with your crew you're traveling with a tour manager and then you're traveling with your band which is essentially family i mean hopefully at some point, everybody is your family on the road, but it's like, mm-hmm. it is, it's, it, it's a shockingly similar lifestyle, I guess. Um, <laughs> Did you like it? Did you get to an age where you were thinking, okay, I'm thinking for myself now, like, do I like this? Am I going to, obviously at some point you stopped. Mm-hmm. Was that, did it come to a head at some point? 
It did, yeah. I think I started thinking for myself around the time I started really enjoying singing and, like, music, honestly. So, like, around 15, I think, is when I started having, like, thoughts of doubt. Because for my... For a long time, I was like, I'm going to go to college for this. Like, I'm going to go to a college where I'm going to ski. Maybe Olympics. Like, that was kind of the track that I was surrounded by. Like, that was every... All of my peers, that was kind of what they were going to do. At that age, especially. But yeah, at some point, I, like, realized that I really loved music. I also realized that I had been traveling for so long and hadn't been at a school or in one place for the entirety of a year for like eight years or something and I think that Mm. started getting really exhausting because I had like I had a very split life in a way because I would have my friends from like my hometown in the Bay Area and then my friends from Tahoe and they would never mix and it just felt really disconnected and I felt like I wasn't having like I it just like wasn't working for me anymore um Mm. so yeah when I was 16 I decided that that was going to be my last year of racing and honestly when I quit it was one of the biggest reliefs of my life (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess kind of doing that intense, like, because you want to be young as well, right? Like, even though you've got ambitions and, you know, clearly had like a really large amount of self discipline, like, at some point, it's like, I just want to, you know, I want to maybe go and hang out with my mates one evening instead of having to go to bed and get up at 4 a.m. and do that like totally were you like a late person in terms of like being a proper socializing teenager like was that like hang up your skis and then suddenly went a bit wild i was super late i don't even think i i don't even think i still have caught up to be honest because it's like i i stopped skiing i had my very very small crew of like my very close friends in high school i never partied really i wasn't like I wasn't social in that way, like, at all. I wasn't, like, disliked or, like, weird or anything, but I just wasn't involved and never really, like, Mm. knew how to be involved or to make friends. I feel like friends were kind of forced upon me, especially in, like, the skiing realm where it's, like, you're on a team and that's who you're stuck with for the whole year. Um, And, I mean, with school, too. It's, like, you're, you're in school and your classmates are who you're stuck with or whatever. Um, but I was so, I think I was so disoriented for so long. And then I got to college equally in a very small pressurized program for music. There was 25 kids in my class. So like, I truly honestly feel like I am still learning how to build like friendships and communities. Cause I graduated from, from college. That was like a four year stint and I was fucking batshit wild in college. Um, doing my work and like learning music but i was crazy living the life yeah <laughs> how 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 mad how mad are we talking yeah i mean i was i lived in a house with 10 people and literally all we did was like throw shows play music and party like that's all we did <laughs> i mean that sounds fun yeah it was, it was great until it kind of got dark and we were like wait we have to like live now um but yeah and then i 
graduated and then essentially eight months later I released a song and then got on a tour and then like it was kind of off to the races from there so that's been my past for almost five years now. Well, let us wind back to a time before any of these things happened, uh, but when clearly you were still an artist because apparently the object that you've chosen to bring in is some homemade pants. Um, <laughs> I've been told they are uh, uh, crafted by your own fair hands. When we say pink pants, are we talking like American pants trousers or British pants like underwear? Trousers. Trow. Tell us more about the where where did they come from? What relevance did they play in your life? Yeah, um, this is a pair of pants that I got at uh, PacSun. <laughs> Do you guys know PacSun? No. No. Okay. Yeah. PacSun was a very very popular store in the United States when I was in my teens. I feel like everybody my age knows PacSun and definitely shopped there when they were small. It was like a more toned down version of like Hot Topic. You had some super emo like Volcom type like skater wear. And then you also had like more like sunshine dresses type of shit. But I had this phase, I think when I was maybe in seventh grade, I was 12, where I like I was in this emo phase and only wanted to wear Volcom. It was a cool brand at the time, I think. You remember? Do you remember this? Yeah. They had, they had a few years of being pretty edgy. Yeah, they were edgy. And I was kind of in that edgy time. Um, and I got these pants. And I think at this point, I started like realizing that I was maybe wanted to express myself a little bit more. So I took mm-hmm. this pair of pants and I bleached them and dyed them like vibrantly pink and for some reason this like was crazy to everyone around me (laughs) i like don't know why (laughs) i don't know why but it was i like wore them and people were like whoa like (laughs) um and i like really love them and i think that was it the pants were one of the I think one of the first times that I ever like customized my own style or like really Mm. actively started kind of caring and like knowing that I kind of wanted to have a personal style in that way because Mm -hmm. before Volcom and before like the pants, it was kind of just like Abercrombie and like Hollister and like everybody around me was just wearing like the basic, I mean, yeah, Abercrombie and Hollister, that was like, that was all the rage. Did that sort of then lead to you sort of customizing loads of other stuff? Like what would be in the rest of the outfit with the pink pants? Yeah. So at that point it was like pink pants, heelys, which are like, nice, you know, heelys with the wheels. With the little wheels on. Yeah. Yeah. Pink pants, heelys, wheel or heelys, (laughs) uh, Volcom (laughs) shirt. And then probably a hat like this, like a beanie with a bill. Like I was into that shit. Um, I was super into beanies at the time because I was like a skier, so like yeah, it was all about it was all about beanies. Oh, and the other like hot thing at that time of my life because I was a ski racer was like we would wear huge goggles right on our face, and because 
you were wearing goggles all the time, you would get this crazy tan. So like half of your face would be really, really tan and half of it would be <laughs> like white, essentially. Sort of like a Homer Simpson mouth thing going on. Totally. Like my crush at the time was this guy that I will not name, but um, everybody liked him because he had the craziest goggle tan ever. And like, it was like a weird symbol of like, Oh, like you really train hard. Like you're like you're like <laughs> you go hard, man. <laughs> it's weird the things that could be status symbols when you're young. Okay, so he was like a yin yang on his face. Yeah, and so was and, I. Uh, I looked fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So, That's funny. So then did you kind of amp it up? Like, I mean, because it's like if you put some block on, try and get the most uh, hardcore tan lines. Yeah, we were trying for that shit. I mean, it happened naturally, to be honest. And I'm like blessed with like a nice olive skin tone that does tan nice. But like looking looking back on photos, I mean, I was just looking crazy. I looked crazy. Crazy, and that was like the time of photo booth, and I'd be like, in this type of hat <laughs> with the goggle tan. For listeners, Remy has just done a very cute little sort of making a heart with her hands, and I am picturing the ha- half a shade face, little heart hands, pink <laughs> massive skater trousers. Yeah, and it's a whole vibe. And in a school with six other people who are equally as fucking weird, so we're all just like. Like, we just look, we were so weird. So weird and, like, isolated and just really strange. We would play mini golf at school. Like, that school was, go- like, it was just a crazy, it was crazy. I think being able or being comfortable and being in an environment where you feel like you can express yourself that young, that's got to have put you in good stead now for, like, being on stage, doing photo shoots, like, being comfortable, like, having your own style and, you know, just being able to own that in, like, a public space. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I think I I definitely did not have, like, a typical childhood at all, which I think set me up to to think and feel free, like, more freely now. I was definitely, like, marching to the beat of my own drum like in in a lot of ways after like the pants i started like only dressing in tie-dye i started at a favorite <laughs> like wear really really long skirts and like heels to school which was strange at the time i started like designing my own shoes and like gluing fabric to my shoes yeah i discovered hate ashbury which is in san francisco um mm-hmm like the iconic Kate Ashbury, obviously, but San Francisco was like 40 minutes away from my house or like Kate Ashbury was. And me and my friends would go up and I would just buy incense and like these crazy, like puffy pants and vintage and which was like really different than a lot of kids at my school. I went to a very kind of like preppy, like kind of uppity public school where people were like very into math and science and like that like mm. not really my speed so i i kind of i was just kind of like an art kid i would like eat lunch in the art room a lot and like do my art projects in there and um did people sort of accept you for that or did that make it difficult they i was 
a weird I was strangely accepted and I think it's because I had this yin and yang thing of like being like a really intense athlete which like high schoolers like they respect that shit yeah respect. (laughs) Um, but then also on the other side I was like doing all this art and then singing very publicly in a band and like kind of was all over town and for some reason was like being written about at times in like the local newspaper, which I think people found cool. And like, for some, yeah, for some reason they didn't bully me. <laughs> Why? But, um, yeah. Local celeb. Come on. I, yeah, it was, it was, I was kind of blessed in the fact that I think I was blessed with the athleticism because had I not been an athlete, as well i think it would have maybe gone down a little bit differently for me but um but yeah i was i was i was accepted i guess and also so many different ways i mean it sort of almost feels like having a level of fame was almost kind of inevitable if you were doing so many different things that were getting quite a lot of attention even as a kid like did you want that like did you have that sort of childhood like oh i'd love to be famous one day I don't know if I ever really thought like, oh my God, I'd love to be famous at all. Um, I mean, I definitely felt like there was attention, I guess, on me, um, which I wasn't mad at per se until, so I did American Idol when I was 17. And oh yeah of course god you've had such a a lot of things in your life already and very very stories i know it's really first it's really quarter century so american idol how old sorry how old did you say you were 14 i was 17 i was 17 17 um okay but i remember doing that and the experience was weird and fine and i didn't necessarily like enjoy doing the show but once the show came out I was, like, on one of the first episodes or whatever. Like, there was, like, a snippet of my audition. And I remember the next day at school, it it was literally, like, everybody was looking at me. Like, just, like, following me <laughs> wherever I went. Um, and I remember being so uncomfortable by that and going home and, like, crying. <laughs> And I think the night before when I, we had watched it, because my family kind of gathered together, like, I I remember being so uncomfortable and, like, not wanting to watch it at all. And I think I remember getting, like, drunk secretly um, <laughs> to, like, not have to, like, deal with the embarrassment that I felt. Um, so how long were you in it for? Not very long. I made it to, like, the top 100. I was, like, in... You know, like the Hollywood Week shit and like the original, like the houses and stuff. Yeah. So, but I was, I was kicked. I was kicked right off, um, which I'm, I'm I glad. mean, maybe a blessing yeah. in disguise. Yeah. Such a bullet. Totally. I mean, oh my God. What those shows do to kids is kind of, it's, it's sinful. So what kind of music were you into around that time? Were, were yeah. you addressing like were you, were you getting into alternative moldy peaches type stuff? So the song that you've brought in 
is Katie Tunstall. Was that around that time? That was, yeah. So that was, I got into that song. Remember when I told, when I, when I talked about my like puberty, like my voice dropping or whatever, mm-hmm. that was the first song that I had su- sang when I realized that like something had happened and I would sing that song. I was in like a little band class at the time. And I remember I sang it and people were like, whoa. And I was like, whoa, what? And, and I mean, I love that song too. I mean, it's such a fun song to sing and I could play it on the guitar. It was like one of the first songs I could play on guitar. So it was just, it was a super formative, formative song to me just for like my voice and for Mm. kind of, it stylistically was what kind of what I started singing when I first realized that I like really liked to sing and I could actually sing. And so I kind of got into like, into all the girls with like the powerful voices like katie tunstall uh i mean i loved adele um Mm. obviously i loved i loved only exception by paramore (laughs) Um, nice uh and i kind of started getting into like rock like the red hot chili peppers um yeah what the hell like stevie wonder it kind of it kind of just led me down this kind of rock soul funk path which is kind of still my path to this day but it was like the start it was the start of that for me and it was about the lyrics you know katie tunstall is such as you know these talking about songwriters people who could paint a picture and you know, always kind of poetry stuff that takes you aback, and those lyrics that really kind of they get burned into your retinas, don't they? Totally. I mean, yeah, I still remember all the lyrics. I gotta say though, at the time, I think the lyrics were so over my head because "Big Black Horse and a Cherry Tree" is, I think, maybe a, like very extreme sexual innuendo. I'm not sure, but like, uh, is it? I mean, I don't. Oh my god! Wait a minute now. <laughs> Isn't this is blowing my mind. I know. I mean, now that you've said it, I can see what she means. Right? <laughs> but like, I was definitely like humming along to that as a kid, thinking that it was just about a nice horse that went for a ride in a <laughs> field that had some cherry trees. You do. Um, wow. It okay. That, but I was thinking about it like two days ago when we were, when I was trying to like think of a song and I was like, holy shit, like. Is that like mm. what I think that is? And I don't know, but like the lyrics definitely were over my head at that time. <laughs> that happens a lot though. Is there, are there like, I think back to a lot of songs that I used to, you know, that maybe were around in my house or, you know, that you'd hear on the radio and you'd be singing along. And now as an adult, you're just like, oh my God, that was so like, inappropriate for a kid I mean, to be singing. Yeah, like um, Baby Got Back. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like big butts, and I cannot lie. But even the beginning, yeah. Like, I we knew that shit front to back. We're singing that loudly in the car, like with our parents. It must have been like, like, yeah. There's so much, so many songs where you just like, like that three oh three song. Uh, don't trust a hoe. Don't trust me. Uh, Didn't really make it to the UK so much. That's been more in the Volcom category. In the Volcom category. For ages, I thought Old Town Road 
I thought the lyric was take my hose to the old town road instead of horse. And I was like, why is everyone liking this song so much? That's horrible. Like, who is this man that's like being such a misogynist? (laughs) And it was just about horses. So I guess that's actually the opposite way round of that. Sometimes the song is just innocent and it's fine. But yeah, dude, I don't know. Like I was, I think the KT Tunstall, I was just really discovering shit. I was, I got super into Red Hot Chili Peppers. I started really liking Radiohead. I started liking Frank Ocean. I got really into like old shit, like the Beatles and Prince and Michael Jackson and was just learning all that stuff. Like was learning to sing all of it. Cause I was in all these like little band groups after school. Like it was just me and a bunch of other kids from kind of the surrounding neighborhoods. And we all had bands and I kind of formed my own band we would learn covers um, like Jimi Hendrix and John Mayer and Jack John. We were all over the place genre wise, but like, I think that was like such a good foundation for me now. I mean, I just learned so many songs and was listen- and was like so excited about listening and learning new music. So tell us about this photo that that you've got. With, yeah, is, is it what you? a cutie! So t- to paint it, you're kind of wearing that those kind of all overalls to look like it's about to get messy. Are you having your hair cut or cut? Yeah, it's like uh, is that not a sort of the bib that you get put on in the hairdressers, yeah. so that you don't get like little hairs down your top? Yeah, um, I think I think if I'm not wrong, my mom will correct me on this later if I am wrong. But I think that was like my first haircut. And I just look, I look like evil. I look like an evil demon. I thought you looked like a little cherub. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like forcing a smile, maybe. It's like an evil smile. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think as a kid, I I chose that photo just because it's funny. And also, as a kid, I think I was, I'm like the oldest of of four kids. So I was like, I was very, I was a very strong personality. I definitely like knew what I wanted and would like kind of Mm. bully my brother into like doing anything that I wanted him to do. I mean, we have so many home videos of me like so actively focused on like building a block structure or like putting these gears together. And I'm so focused and my brother would start touching it and like trying to change it. And I'd be like, I was like a very, I think I was a pretty intense kid. Um, I was definitely a happy kid, but like definitely that demon, there was like a demon in there that has not gone away by the way. Um, but like, I don't know. I was very, very independent and devilish. What sort of age um, in the photo, if that was your first haircut, how old do you reckon you are there? Like three, four? I, probably, like I think I was probably like three. Okay. Do you remember being that age? I don't know if I remember it or I've just heard stories of me at that age that like have become false memories or something. But I think when I was Mm. three, I was living in San Francisco with um, my brother and my parents. And I, I do have some memories. I like, we lived in this apartment that had this courtyard in the middle of it. And I remember me and my brother riding around in the courtyard on like tricycles and there were these other kids 
in another apartment that would come down and play with us. And one time, I don't know if this has been implanted into me or if, or if I truly do remember this, but they invited us up to their house to decorate gingerbread men. And uh, I like vividly remember doing that. And like, I like remember their carpet and the way that it looked. And you were trying to put the gingerbread house together and then someone tried to fuss with it and you were like, no. <laughs> Uh, Get exactly. That's probably what yeah. happened. You commandeered their project. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, no idea who you are, but uh, but yeah, I remember. I remember like that. I remember watching Looney Tunes, um, like with my aunt because she also lived in the city as well. And I remember just like this is this is a crazy story. One time, this was about when I was around three. I loved Beanie Babies and I had this, I made this project. I made like links of paper. So it was like paper attached, like, like two circles. And I made huge links that went all the way down from the ceiling and then joined at the bottom. It was like a swing platform of paper. And then I tied it up to the ceiling and then I would swing my Beanie Babies on it. Like a little hammock. Like a little hammock for the Beanie Babies. And my dad was helping me put it up on the ceiling because I think it had fallen and I was hanging on his neck. Like I was hanging off of his neck on his back. And I guess like I was hanging on there for like so long or maybe just like the pressure of my weight was too much. And he passed out, fell backwards onto me. Oh my God. Like, bumped his head and like, cracked it open and went, we had to get him like ambulance to the hospital. Um, and I vaguely remember that. <laughs> Fuck. Dedication. Yeah. Okay. Dedication yeah. for the Beanie Baby swing. I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, now to Beanie Baby, whenever you see a Beanie Baby, it brings back PTSD I memories. I just got a Beanie Baby. Um, Let me get it for you. I'll show you. <laughs> I just got this in Australia. Oh, yeah. hello. Who's this yeah. guy? What's his name? I think his name is Shel- Sheldon. Yeah. <laughs> says, young Sheldon. Young Sheldon. He says, let's go dig for buried treasure at the beach for our own pleasure. We might find a coin or two with some luck, maybe a few. <laughs> and it's, uh, there we go. If we hear those lyrics in your next record, then we'll know that you've <laughs> nicked it from Sheldon the yeah. Beanie Baby. So it's on record now, Remy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you still collect them then? Honestly, no, but I, I definitely have a soft spot, spot in my heart for them for sure. Um, and for some reason, Australia, just every airport has this like a massive amount of Beanie Babies. I don't know what's going on over there, but um, there's, they're, they were a very fascinating thing. Like, there's this Beanie Baby documentary. Have you guys seen that at all? I think no. I might have. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there was such a cultural movement around it, and like a lot of Midwestern moms like got really obsessed because all of a sudden, like the value of the Beanie Baby went up because they started making collectibles, and it got so crazy. Like, there one be- Beanie Baby would be worth like five thousand dollars, and then all of a sudden the bubble burst and the Beanie Babies were again worth like five dollars again and people lost yeah. so much money and it was like a very weird period of three years and people have like 
people now that were taking part of it have just like bins and bins and bins of Beanie Babies in their basements that are just like worth nothing. It's kind of sad. That was Remy Wolf on Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine. Thank you, Remy, and we hope that you can have a nap now that we have stopped making you talk on a podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes of Before They Knew Better, as we wind down to the end of Series 1, why not go back and give them a little whirl? Uh, we have had guests including Killer Mike, we've had James Acaster, we've had May Muller, Olivia Dean, MXM Toon, Felix White, literally more people than you can shake a podcast stick at. Uh, go back, give them a listen, give us a subscribe and a like if you would be so kind. And while you're at it, why not cast your eye over the literal wealth of things that DIY Magazine's got going on right now? We have just put out our December January bumper double issue. It is the class of 2024. All of our tips for the bands that are going to be fill in your ears and your eyes on stage throughout the next 12 months we have got bands and artists including picture parlor hot wax fat dog hemlock springs we have got meta we have got literally loads of hot tips winging their way into your inbox we have also got a host of live shows that are coming up throughout 2024 including some of those bands such as hot wax and big special who are going to be going on the diy now and next tour 2024 that is heading out across the country in april tickets on sale now if you live in london keep all the tuesdays in january clear because you will be wanting to hot foot it down to the old blue last in shoreditch for our hello 2024 gigs they are four shows four artists each show and they are totally free register your interest on dice Stay tuned, we've got a couple more episodes of this first season of Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine to come. They'll be coming straight into your inbox on a Tuesday morning. So stay warm, Merry Christmas, and we'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by Rock in Rio Lisboa, the sister event to Brazil's iconic music festival Rock in Rio. The Portuguese leg of the event is set to celebrate its 20th anniversary with one of its biggest editions yet and over 80,000 attendees across its four days, of which some of them could be you. Taking place over two weekends this June, some of music's biggest names will be taking to the stage in Lisbon. We're talking Ed Sheeran, we're talking Doja Cat, even the Jonas Brothers are getting in on the action. And and with each day specially curated by genre, there's literally something for everyone. I went to the town in Rio last year, which is curated by the same people as Rock in Rio. And it was, I'm going to say, one of the wildest festivals I've ever been to. This year's Rock in Rio Lisboa takes place on the 15th, 16th, 21st and 22nd of June. And tickets can be purchased now via their website, rockinriolisboa.pt.